You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Hey there, boys and girls. This is Chad Dotson, back with another edition of Red Leg Nation Radio. Thanks for joining us once again. A little bit later, we're going to air the conclusion of our recent interview with Red's broadcaster and all-around good guy, Chris Welsh. But first, uh, back with us today is your friend and mine, Bill Lack. How are you today, Bill? I'm doing great, man. It's a nice, warm Sunday afternoon. Oh, it's fantastic. You know, just a little while ago, I was outside with the kids, and we were uh, throwing the ball around, and I was pitching to them a little bit, and it's just, uh, I've got spring fever bad. I hear you. I'm with you. Even ready for the Reds to start. Uh, I don't know if that'll be as as enjoyable as uh, playing ball with my four and my seven year old, but uh, I'm still excited for it. There you go. You've been watching any of this uh, World Baseball Classic? I watched a little of the game yesterday with the United States game in the, against Canada. I, I'm I'm not a fan of the WBC, but I have to admit that the game caught my interest. Uh, uh, you know, I lo- I'm a big Adam Dunn fan, so I, I watch for that. And if it hadn't been playing Canada, they had Joey Votto, I probably wouldn't have watched. But it, it was a it was a very good ball game. The excitement level was through the roof in the in the ballpark. That's what I read. I was reading an article about it this morning. It said uh, 45,000, and a couple of the guys said it was the loudest stadium they've ever been in. Yeah, I heard one of the pitchers say that after the game. I don't remember who it was now, one of the interviews. Uh, my only thing on the whole WBC is I'm rooting for the Dominican to get beat again tonight because I want Volquez and Cueto back down in Sarasota so they're not out there th- trying to throw 120 miles an hour in I, games that don't mean anything. Yeah, that's the part that uh, bothers me. You know, Joey Votto going and playing for Canada, more power to him. You know, he's, he's getting a little work in left field for him, uh, you know, and – I don't have a problem with that. He's going to be playing the same way he'd be playing in uh, Reds camp, really. The the problem I've got, and you know, you may want to speak about this. Uh, you posted the USA Today column uh, from last week about uh, these pitchers in the WBC. I'm real worried about these guys given that kind of effort this early in the year. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, you know, somebody posted on the blog that you know there wasn't enough data, and, and I agree with that. I don't think there's enough data to draw any conclusions. But but my biggest concern is is we've got two guys that are that are young, their arms are still you know forming, you know maturing, whatever word you want to use, uh, and and they're down there you know airing it out here on on the second week in March, your first week in March, and this is something you know we wouldn't be, normally be expecting them to do till the middle the end of March or beginning of April. It, it's a big concern for me. Uh, and, and these guys are could be the foundation of the next you know, success of this franchise for the next four or five years. Well, I agree with that, certainly. And and I'd also agree that there isn't enough uh, data really to make any kind of grand conclusions about whether or not the WBC is bad for pitchers in general. But uh, the specific point was, if, you know, if we had uh, Jake Peavy or, or uh, Roy Oswald or one of those guys, it'd be a little different. We've got two guys in their uh, early to mid-20s. If they were pitching under this kind of stress in spring training, we'd all be freaking out, you know, yes. calling for heads. So uh, that's what worries me. Yeah. And, and the other, but the other side of the coin is looking from the kids, the, these, the players' point of view is, it would be very difficult when you had a chance to play for your country to say no. No question. Uh, and, and I, you know, and every one of them talks about what an honor it is, no matter what country they're playing for, whether they're playing for the United States or whether they're playing for the Netherlands. And it would be a very difficult opportunity to turn down. So you really can't fault the player either. It's just, I have no problem with the WBC concept. I have a problem with the timing, but I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah, I don't know how to solve that problem either. I think it's a, when, when it was first announced, I thought it was a good idea just in the sense that, hey, that's, that's an interesting idea. That'd be a lot of fun. But man, they've got to figure out something with respect to the timing. I watched, uh, but I watched a part of the Venezuela game last night against Italy. Um, Italy had Christinorfia playing for him actually and you could tell it really meant a lot to these guys even even the pros uh, you know the guys for venezuela ramon hernandez our uh, new catcher was playing for venezuela and that whole bunch they just you could tell it really meant something to be able to play for their country and uh, it wasn't even as good an atmosphere in that game as it was earlier for the u.s uh, canada game but still it's it could be a special item I, I don't know what the answer is in terms of timing though yep exactly i saw uh i don't know if you happen to catch the 
the late show with David Letterman had uh, some of the guys from the U.S. team on there talking about the uh, top ten reasons why uh, you should watch the World Baseball Classic. No, I didn't see that. Adam, Adam Dunn was one of one of the uh, top ten, and, and he said something to the effect of, uh, why wouldn't you want to get on board with something that's been a great baseball tradition all the way back since 2006? You know? <laughs> Sounds like well, another one of the pitchers was talking about you know the the team and he done has been been not been uh, given the the title of class clown on the team. I've already heard that. Not surprising. No, not at all. Done. Uh, he had hit a pretty good one yesterday, didn't he? You see that? He and Joey Votto both had pretty good days. Votto went four for five, a double, a home run. The, 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 I'll tell you what that he hit a double in. I think that I think it was the top of the ninth inning. It was. They sawed the bat off, and he still put it almost at a fence. He got it, you know, into the right field gap. It was an inc- an impressive shot. How impressed are you with this Joey Votto? I'm telling you, he's a man. Yeah, uh, well, that's exactly what Chris Welsh called him. Um, you know, uh, I, they the thing, and I, you know, from what I watched, I saw Joey play in Sarasota, and this was uh, the year before, I believe they did. They have to take a strike rule right and you could tell at that level that he he could hit i mean he was a a good ball player now he struggled the following year in chattanooga i believe or was it sarasota the year when he struggled i can't remember now i believe it was sarasota was it Uh, but you could you could even tell then that this kid had tools and and but you don't know what a kid's makeup is you don't know what his work ethic is and and you don't hear anything from anybody but overwhelmingly positive things about joey Votto and how good he wants to be and how hard he works, and he's one of the first people there every morning, and yada, yada, yada. And I think the fact that, that you got guys that, that supposedly have those kinds of, of, of talents on top of the work ethic, and you're hearing the same things about Jay Bruce, uh, give you real hope for the future of this franchise, for, for where these kids can take this ball club over the next few years. Absolutely. and That's, that's why I'm even more impressed with Votto now than I was even just a year ago. You know, Chris Wilson, one of our other editors at Red Lake Nation, he went to see Votto uh, play in Chattanooga a couple years ago. And Votto hit two of the longest home runs he's ever seen. And Chris came back just raving about this kid, just the talent he had. But then you combine that with what we've seen now over the last year in terms of his work ethic. I'm, I'm, as, I'm maybe not as high as I am on Jay Bruce, but um, Joey Votto has uh, really, really raised my eyebrows. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how the yonder Votto scenario plays out. Assuming assuming that the Reds made the right decision with with yonder, and he comes along as quickly as they think he can. Whether they make a move, you know, with Votto to the outfield, whether they use him, and I hate to think of them trading any offense as bad as this team seems to need offense. Definitely. You know what what the answer will be there, and how he would deal with with being asked to change positions when he's been up here and been very successful at a position. But from everything you're hearing with, with the makeup that this kid has, I, I don't foresee it being an issue. Well, he's a professional. Uh, you, you always have to wonder about that. But on the other hand, uh, if you look at the numbers, it probably would be a good move career-wise, potentially for Votto to move to left field. There's, he, he'd be, a, I guess, one of the better hitting left fielders, at least more highly rated than he would be at first base. There's more hitters at first base, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but I think that's a thing that we as, as fans and bloggers think about more than baseball seems to. You know, we always hear, you know, left fielders are better hitters than center fielders or better hitters than right fielders. And, but you never hear the, the baseball professional organi- professionals talking about that kind of thing. So I think we might overblow that at times. That's possible, but I bet his agent thinks about it when he's out comparing himself to other players on the, when he gets on the free market, uh, when he becomes a free agent or arbitration time. Uh, that's you know, a good point. So, well, let's uh, let's move on to if we could. Really, one of the more intriguing left field. We already mentioned that. I guess is an intriguing spot for the Reds uh, this year in spring training. But everybody wants to talk about the number five spot in the rotation. How do you see that playing out? Which one, the, the left field or the number five? Let's talk about number five first. I I think it's Micah Owen's spot to lose. Um, I think that. Homer Bailey has opened some eyes. I mean, when 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 somebody that like like Hal McCoy said that he's seen the biggest turnaround he's seen in 37 years, that says something. Because uh, because let's be honest, Bailey was on McCoy's shit list last year. Yeah, McCoy's been more down on him than anyone. Yeah, but 
I mean, you 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 wonder how well Bailey will have to pitch to win that five spot. Now he's been very impressive. Now he went out there yesterday, even that you know he even said he didn't have his best stuff, but he hankered through and he you know what he, I think he gave up one run. Yeah. Yesterday, uh, but I think it's I think it's Owings' spot to lose. I think Massett. If, if I had to predict today, I think Owings is the five. I think Massett's in the bullpen, and I think Homer's in Louisville. I think you're exactly right, and that's what I've been predicting since even before the season started. No matter how well Bailey pitched, Bailey would have to pitch awfully well to earn that spot, I believe. I think it's Owings to lose. And in terms of uh, Massett being in the mix, there's no way in the world Massett is um, – well, they'd have to expose him to waivers. I don't see Massett getting through waivers, clearing waivers. So uh, since since Bailey has options, Massett doesn't. I, I think Bailey ends up being the odd man out. But I'm really hoping that something happens that Bailey sort of – returns to form you know he's always been this highly touted prospect who's had a couple down years my dream is that he returns to being the, that number one prospect type guy and because if he's pitching well that turns what's already it looks like it might be a pretty good rotation into just an outstanding rotation yeah if, you, if you've got a guy that's a, a, a number one a former number one pick pitching at the level that he was expected to pick out when he would pitch at when he was drafted and he's in your four or five spot that's a strong rotation Absolutely, um, especially when you think that, uh, well, you don't know what Volquez and Cueto are going to do. Um, they're still young. You hope that they won't uh, take a big step backwards. With respect to Harang, I was reading an article in, I think it was in ESPN, the magazine here the last uh, couple of days. It was talking about the luckiest and unluckiest pitchers in the league last year. We know that Harang struggled with uh, some injuries, but also he was, uh, in terms of batting average on balls put in play and percentage of fly balls that end up being home runs he was those these are things that are usually pitcher independent they all sort of revert back to the mean and he was unluckier than anybody except for a uh, uh, one other pitcher Anibal Sanchez uh, from Florida so that gives me hope that he's going to uh, definitely bounce back this year he may not be as good as he was the three previous years but I, I really expect him to bounce back and so for the first time in ages we, we're talking about having a really good rotation yeah and, and I, I think you know I wouldn't be surprised and we're seeing some talk of it on the blog that if the Reds are, are happy with where these young guys are towards the middle of the year, you know, the Baileys, the Thompsons, the Maloneys, the Massets, the Owings, you have to think they'd be looking to unload somebody like Harang or, or Arroyo possibly in a midseason deal to bring in some more offensive help. I would think that Arroyo, and, and I've become a big fan of Bronson Arroyo. I was a skeptical early on, but I would think he'd have to be at the top of that uh, trading list. If, especially if Owens and Bailey are both pitching well. You look at Arroyo, and you may not realize this, but Arroyo over the last, I think, three seasons has pitched more innings than anyone in baseball. Yeah, I read that the other day. I think I think you had posted that on somewhere, and I, and I read that. So that's that's valuable. Uh, that's a valuable commodity to a lot of teams, I would say, an innings eater. And, and you know, if, no, if nothing else, a league average ERA type innings eater. I, I would think Arroyo would have some value. Oh, absolutely. I, I think he has quite a bit of value. The, the the biggest argument against him, as we all are well aware, is from one day to the next, you never know what you're going to get from him. He, I mean, he's more peaks and valleys than, than you really, really want. Well, also adding to his value is the fact that, you know, if you if you want to have a band or something, he can play the guitar, so... Yeah, and he does he does really bad commercials. Oh, the great commercials! Are you kidding? Come on, <laughs> gotta love the JTM commercials. I, I won't eat it, and I won't listen to it. <laughs> I, I can't blame you. Uh, you mentioned what uh, Hal McCoy said a minute ago uh, about Bailey's turnaround, uh, biggest in thirty-seven years. But in that same article, I, I believe the one you're referencing, he asked a question that probably deserves uh, some discussion here. You know, what if Owings and, and Bailey are looking great early on? You know, is, is Johnny Cueto's spot in the rotation locked up? What do you think about that? I think it should be. Um, this has been an ongoing debate on the blog, you know, since I posted that thing yesterday. I threw that up there yesterday. The kid was, uh, you know, a number four last year. He, he was, he had a, I think, I think somebody said his ERA plus was like 94 at 22 years old. With I think four games he pitched in Triple A ball, and now on sample on a spring training, you know you're gonna or or the first spring training plus the first you know handful of games in April, 
in May, you're, you're, t- you're talking about taking the kid out of the rotation. I think that's insane. I agree. I, you know, there's a couple couple items here you got to look at. I think number one, the kid earned his shot last year at keeping that spot. He deserves to have that spot in the rotation. The second question is, well, what if he comes out early this year, even if you ignore spring training? And nobody should get too excited about spring training numbers, especially when you're making these decisions on who to keep. Uh, That should be really at the bottom of the list of uh, what you're trying to decide to do. His history, it it should be number one, on the field regular season games. But if he comes out in April and, and really is struggling pretty hard, the question is how long do you stick with him? And I probably would tend to stick with him longer than maybe some people. I know some of the commenters on that post you put up might disagree with that. this as well. People need to understand he's very young. Young pitchers are inconsistent. That's just the way it is. Um, this kid has a huge, huge, huge future, a high ceiling. Um, and so I'd probably give him a little bit longer leash in April and May than maybe some others would. I agree. I would also, you know, because I think you and I agree on it. I, th- I think because of the fact that you and I agree, we don't expect the Reds to contend this year. No, I agree. And and in that case, if he's going to struggle and, and go through this maturing process, let's have him do it this year. If you if you keep him on that short leash or, or jerk him out of the rotation and send him to bullpen or send him down to, to Louisville or whatever you, they decide to do, what does that do about this kid's mental state of mind? He's only 22. I think he might be 23 when the season starts, and uh, you know, do we? You know, the following year when we're all hoping that the Reds will be ready to to challenge for a good a good solid playoff spot, do we want to be going through that process then, or have him still be learning, you know, how to get out, get himself out of trouble in the rotation then? Uh, that's that's definitely my point on that. I don't expect the Reds to continue this year. I think if they have a a good year, we, we could. You know, best case scenario, 500 record or so. Um, who knows? That could contend in this division. I doubt it with uh, the Cubs. But on the other hand, I fully expect, uh, unless things really go off the rails, that 2010, 2011, 2012, the Reds have a real shot at not just being competitive, but having a good team. And Johnny Cueto is going to be, uh, you know, a necessary, needed part of that next great Reds team. Yeah, I think he could be a big piece to that puzzle. I, I absolutely do. I, I see at that point when the Reds are going to be contenders for not only, you know, theoretically could they could they contend this year for a wild card spot? Yeah, I guess. You know, if, if somewhere some magic thing happens and their offense scores enough runs. But when we're, what we're talking about is them contending for division titles, National League titles, and world world championships. And for the Reds to be able to do that, at that point, I expect Cueto to be the Reds' no lower than number three starter, maybe the number two. Uh, I think we won't be challenging for world titles if he's the number one. I agree, but you know, um, he's got you know he's got a ceiling where he could be a really good number two pitcher. Uh, you know, absolutely. But you know, what I'm hoping is Volquez is is as good as we saw last year, even though I don't expect him to duplicate those numbers. And what I'm hoping is that Bailey ends up being that number one or number two, you know, and pushes Quaid up. I'd like to have, you know, three guys that you don't know who the number one is. We could live with that. Have Volquez, Cueto, and Bailey be our version of the uh, Maddox, Glavin, uh, Smoltz trifecta? We could live with that. <laughs> I could live with that, yeah. <laughs> no question. Um all right, well, let's uh, let's shift gears just a little bit because there was another huge conversation over the last week, week and a half, uh, not just on at RedLegNation.com, but across a lot of the Reds' blogs and uh, even uh, in the newspapers. And that's respect to our old buddy Brandon Phillips. Now, let me let me just say before we start here, I really like Brandon Phillips. I think he's a very good player. He's outstanding defensively, um, and he he's not he doesn't kill you offensively. Um, well. Okay, let me say, I'm not a big Brandon Phillips fan. I think he's a great defensive player. I think he's an average at best offensive player. I think he's a hot dog, and I think he loafs way too much for the amount of publicity he gets. And, and it says, some of this has nothing to do with him on the field, but some of the things he does drive me absolutely over the edge. Well, and I can I can see where you, where you get that. I You know, I, I like the guy, and I, I just don't want to overstate. I don't want people to think that I – we dislike him uh, that much because of what he said here recently. But let's go ahead and get into his quote from last week. And I will quote here. I don't believe in that on-base percentage stuff. 
That's overrated to me. If you get hits, you'll be on base. That's what it's about. Um, any comments on that? Well, and I, and I wish I'd written it down. Chris Garber wrote had the best quote, and I forget what he called it. I've got it right here. If this is uh, he, and I agree. This I had it pulled up because I wanted to make sure to, to highlight it. Um, our buddy Chris, one of our editors uh, at Red Lake Nation, says this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's actively ignorant, and I think it's the best way to describe it. Exactly. I mean, it, it's 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 making a point. Uh, it's almost like I'm saying this just to be controversial. You know, whether he was or not, and whether he really believed. I mean, I was very impressed that Dusty called him on it almost immediately. Me too. I, I was surprised at that. Yeah. The other the other comment that you haven't got to yet, and which sends me up the over the edge almost even, which shows why I don't care for Brandon Phillips. If you continue reading, he said, "Well, I'll hit anywhere one through four. I saw that. Yeah, how, that's how how magnanimous of him. Uh, yeah, mighty, yeah, mighty nice of you there, Brandon. When when truth be told, I think we we I know you and I agree. Probably the six. He's a, a six hole hitter in my lineup. In a six six seven hole, and, and he he's an out, He would be an outstanding asset in the six seven hole. He would. I mean, because he doesn't, you know. He has serious flaws at the plate, but there are things he can do at the plate, and um, and certainly with his defense, he's a, a could be a valuable member of the team. With him as your cleanup hitter, I just I don't see it. I don't. I, I mean, I see three other guys I'd rather have at least hitting cleanup over him. Well, I, I'm not a, I'm not as big an advocate of splitting up your left-handers as, as Dusty is, and uh, me either. Never have been. And I, you know, but I'm not sure who should be in that four spot at this point. If you know, with the talent, with the guys in the age the Reds have, I think you and I both agree we'd probably hit Encarnacion in the four spot. In a year, oh. you know, maybe I hit Votto or, or Bruce in that four spot. I think I, I and you know, Joey's got one year in the bigs. Bruce has got a half a year, three quarters of a year in the bigs. I don't want to stick them in that four spot right now. That's a lot of pressure. I agree. And- I, I'm a little biased, as as we all know, with Encarnacion. He's my favorite player. I, I I'm really high on that kid. And I, I I think he should be the fourth hitter. I think as we go move on into 2010, 2011, get these players some more experience. I see it sort of shaking out with Bruce hitting in the three hole and Votto hitting cleanup. I I think that's the way it's going to end up. Um, unless I, unless you know Dusty wants to split up those left handers again, in which case uh, Votto ends up fifth, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, and I and. Uh, that's my concern, and you end up with a, a mediocre four hitter, you know, because he's right-handed. I bet I bet right-handed. I'd be happy to jump in there in between Votto and Bruce. Probably for major league minimum. I, oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> I, I'd probably be more disliked than Corey Patterson, but uh, if, if, if Marge Shot was still the owner, your phone would be ringing right now. I know it. I promise. <laughs> I'll, I'll run out every ground ball, and it'll be slow, but I'll run it out. There you go. Measure I'll, it with a calendar. That's right. I'll <laughs> run out to my position every single inning. I'll sprint as fast as I can. You know, there people you love. That's about all it takes. It seems like to sat. There's a certain element of uh, Reds fan. That's all it takes to satisfy him. Run out to your position and back to the dugout and run out every ground ball. Um, Talking about the Reds in, in in spring training and these battle for positions, though, um, we haven't. This hasn't gotten up on the blog yet. But John Fay had an interesting um, column in his Reds Insider column in the Enquirer today talking about how the WBC has, has affected the Reds. And basically, uh, two-fifths of the roster, is, of, the, of the rotation is gone, and their catcher, first baseman, and center fielder are gone to the WBC. Now, you know, this hasn't had a big effect on, on these position battles for the number five spot or for the left, or for left field. But where I see it as being the biggest thing is, Baker has never managed Tavares and never managed Hernandez, and 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 Faye talks about that a little bit in the article, and I think that is huge that they that they left to go to, and, and I'm not, and I understand playing for your country, but when you're in a new organization, especially coming off horrendous years, I think it really hurts the team when you're gone for what is it going to be three weeks or so of spring training, and I, and I think John, I think John had a really good column this morning in the uh, Enquirer about it. That's a great point by Faye. Uh, a couple items I would add. Number one, uh, Willie Tavares is obviously gone. I don't mind if he stays. He can, they can have him. He doesn't have to come back. Um, but he, Hernandez, he can create havoc elsewhere. That's right. Let him create havoc uh, in his home country. Uh, whatever. Um, but with respect to Hernandez specifically, and I'm not real high on Hernandez either. But 
this is a guy I would think in terms of just being able to get to know your pitching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be handling these pitchers all year long, and he's missing vital time to get to know these pitchers, get to know what they like, uh, you know, what their strengths and weaknesses are. And I think it's even more important, not just with respect to Dusty learning these guys' tendencies and managing them, but also Hernandez having to get used to his pitchers. Yeah, Faye talks about that in, in, the, in this article. In fact, he says that he caught Aaron Harang for a total of one inning before he left. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, I agree. That's a big concern. Yeah, that's your opening day starter, uh, you know, at pitcher and yeah. catcher, you know. Not to mention that there's some language, I understand, some language difficulties that makes maybe even a little higher barrier to them getting to work together. So I just, again, it comes back to the timing of the WBC, and I, I don't know what else to do about it, but it, I'm a really concerned it could uh, hurt the Reds. Yeah. You know, the other issue that I think is interesting, though, for a team that not many people expect to, to – to um, be in, to challenge for a playoff spot this year is how few spots there are on this roster that are open. For a team that's not that good, I agree. You'd yeah. think there's more competition. Yeah, you would. You really would. I mean, there's a lot. But, I, you know, I don't know where it should be. Or, you know, or maybe it's it, it just says about – it says, maybe that says something about the, the youth in our organization, that, you know, that these guys aren't ready and, you know, and you're kind of stuck with who you're stuck with at the major league level. But – you know, the way I see it, they're going into spring training with basically three or four spots open on a 25-man roster. Yeah, I mean, you're talking that fifth spot in the rotation. Uh, there's not really a whole lot of uh, bullpen. Uh, one one or two spots in the bullpen and one or two spots on the bench. You know, so maybe there's five out of 25. Yeah, left field, you know, depending on how that turns out, that, that, that I guess, dictates who you keep on the bench maybe in terms of whether – Jock Jones makes the team, or I expect Daryl Ward to make the team as that left-handed pinch hitter off the bench. But um, I'm hopeful that Johnny Gomes, who's looked pretty good so far, and, and actually the WBC is giving Gomes a little bit more chance to play. He's gotten in the lineup a couple extra times now. Yeah, I was looking at the. I, I was. It was. It's a little surprising. I was looking. I pulled up the uh, spring training stats off MajorLeagueBaseball.com this morning, and, and I don't know if these are up to date today. But, you know, looking at just number of at-bats, and this isn't plate appearances. I didn't look at that, so this is just quick and dirty stuff. Gomes has got 12. The, the leading guy is Hopper with, with 15. McDonald's got 14. Nix has got 14. Dickerson, 13. Uh, Gomes has got 12. And the two big surprises to me so far of guys in terms of number of at-bats is Francisco's got 13, as does Todd Frazier. Now, I, I, you know, I can't. Neither one of those guys has got a chance of making this ball club. But uh, I was kind of just kind of surprised. I just throwing that in. I just kind of surprised they've gotten that many at bats at third base. Says to me that there's uh, elements uh, within the, this organization that really uh, think those guys are part of the future. Um, and especially if you're talking third base, maybe uh, maybe Encarnacion. Who knows what his future is with this team? Yeah, I, I, I think that's. I think it's up in the air. Uh, I think a lot of it's going to depend on his, on how he plays this year. You know, whether he stays, whether he moves to another position, possibly, or whether he's part of a package. Well, we're coming to a, a point where we may, you know, if everything works out, and nothing ever works out like you think with these prospects and with Votto right. and Fernandez, but. You know, it's conceivable that in the next year or two there'd be too many hitters and too few positions, and that's not a bad not a bad problem to have. We've got quite a log jam in the minor leagues at, at third base, and, and uh, you could even make the argument it's it's shortstop. I mean, you've got Francisco, you've got uh, Frazier, you've got uh, Valeca, Valeca, you've got Stubbs, you've got Cozart, uh, and Effie Soto. Nephi Soto, who I think I really am really, really high on. I got to watch him for a half a season last year at Dayton, and uh, he's a very impressive kid. He's a big for, – for a, you know, a Latin kid, he's a big stocky kid, uh, and everything he hits is square and hard. Uh, and he has hit from the day he joined the roster at Billings. He's hit yeah. every day. And, and uh, Matt Clanker thinks that he's athletic enough to play shortstop. Oh, that'd be outstanding. Now, I, I don't foresee, you know, if the Reds were going to do that, I think they would have done it by now. But that that does tell you something about the kids' athleticism. Absolutely. Well, one other thing I wanted to mention, just to sort of wrap up here, and we'll get into this uh, Chris Welsh interview in just a moment. Um, unless you got something else, I'll go ahead and let you. Anything else you think uh, we need to no, touch on? I don't have anything other than we've got some, you know, talking about interviews, I've got some things lined up. Uh, and our next interview is going to be with Tom Nichols, the voice of the Dayton Dragons. Tom, the, Dra- the Dragons have always been 
very, very supportive of Red Leg Nation. They have. And Tom is uh, willing to give us some of his time. I'm doing an interview with Tom that, that I think will be real, real interesting. Tom has a very, very broad uh, uh, view of the Reds minor league system and really, really seems to know a lot about players at levels, you know, way, you know, other levels other than the low A level. Definitely. So that's going to be a good interview. I know you've got several others lined up, and I got I've actually got in the fire. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good stuff uh, coming up here in the next next little bit here at Red Leg Nation Radio. Very exciting. Before we go into this, uh, Chris Welsh, I wanted to mention one thing. Uh, there was one post at Red Leg Nation that got a lot of attention this last week that I wanted to highlight. And, you know, I posted it up there, but I can't take any credit for it. There was a comment. We've been laughing and joking kind of about the Reds after they signed Willie Tavares. They talked about how they wanted to create havoc on the base paths. And uh, one of the commenters at Redleg Nation, River City Redleg, he calls himself, uh, had this comment. Did anyone else notice that our potential starting rotation, Harang, Arroyo, Volquez, Owings, Cueto, you take your first letters, those last names, it spells havoc. Yes, so. Sounds like a, sounds like somebody from the marketing department needs to get to work. Oh, it's it's uh, it's just a brilliant a brilliant way to a brilliant plan. Our pitching staff's going to wreak a little havoc too. That's made for so, a T-shirt, isn't it? It is. It really is. We need <laughs> we need to get on that. All right. <laughs> well, Bill, appreciate you joining us again here today. We're going to try to do this as often as we can. I, I've been having a good time uh, talking to you and talking to all the other people and listening to your interviews uh, that we've been having on the on the podcast. Good stuff. Thank you. Uh, we're going to finish up with uh, Chris Welsh here. You want to you want to sort of lead into this the rest yeah. of this interview? <laughs> I can't say enough about how generous Chris has been with his time. He uh, when I did the original interview with Chris, we sat down at a base at a Champions Baseball Academy for it had to have been an hour and fifteen minutes, an hour and twenty minutes, and we get I get home and and download the interview off my recorder and send it to Chad, and he sends me an email the next day and said. This thing kind of cut off. What happened? Is there another part of it? And I listened to the end of it, and about the last 15 or 20 minutes of the interview got got cut off. Um, Technical problem with my recorder. In other words, I did something stupid. But um, I dropped Chris an email and explained what happened to him and asked him if we could get back together on the phone and and recover the, 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 the part of the interview that I lost. And he amazingly generously volunteered to get back on the phone with me, and, and we spent some time the other night on the phone uh, and went back over the questions and things that we had talked about in that time that I lost. And, and you just can't say enough about the fact that he was willing to do this. Uh, what an amazing guy. He's, he's, a, he's a pleasure to talk to. He's a pleasure to deal with. And I can't say enough about how generous he's been and, and, and helpful and thoughtful he's been uh, to me on my Reds list serve and, and here at Red Leg Nation. Yeah, I introduced him earlier when I was sort of teasing the interview by calling him all-around good guy, and I think that's a great uh, description. I really appreciate him taking that time because he didn't have to, he didn't have to take the time the first time around, much less uh, to you know answer the phone the second time and, and answer a few more questions. And, and if you listen to the first part of that interview, it's clear he pulls no punches. He's a bright guy, has uh, real opinions about this team, and I think it's one of the more fascinating interviews we've had. Yeah, and, and – Chris has uh, been kind enough to invite me up to the booth during the season this year to see how things actually work in the booth. And when that happens, I'll, I'll have to post something onto the blog about that and, and let you know how that com- how that evening went. Uh, we look forward to that report. That'll be a lot of fun up there. Well, I guess without further ado, we're going to go ahead and we'll wrap up here and sort of just ease right into the rest of that interview with Chris Welsh. Bill, thanks again for joining us. Okay, Chad, we'll talk to you later. Let's do it again soon. Mm-hmm. And all right, enjoy the uh, the finale here. I guess the the reprise of the interview with Chris Wells. All right, here we are again. This is Red Leg Nation Rewind today, and we want to thank Chris very much for giving some more of his time and helping me overcome the technical malfunction we had a couple of weeks ago when we talked when I lost the end of our interview. Chris, give us a quick uh, Sarasota weather report. How is it down there today? <laughs> Funny you should ask, Bill. This is uh, uh, a beautiful day down here. Maybe the best day the Reds have had yet, uh, or anybody else visiting down here for whatever purpose if you want to be outside. 74, sunny, slight breeze, 
Today at the ballpark, the breeze was blowing in from left field and then out towards right a little bit later on. But uh, it uh, it was a nice day to watch and a nice day to hang out at the beach. Nothing wrong with that. When we were talking a couple of weeks ago, when, we, when we, the interview cut off, you were talking about Homer Bailey. And you said you didn't think he could make this 25-man roster, and you predict, I think basing mainly on, on him having options left, that you thought that Nick Massett would be the Reds' number five starter. Have you seen or heard anything since you've been in Florida to change your mind about this? Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny you start with uh, Homer right out of the chute because I've seen him pitch twice. And uh, he, each time he looked uh, very, uh, very impressive. In fact, he looked better the second time than he did the first. Uh, his fastball was very good. He was able to, to put it where he wanted to. His curveball was exceptional. And he's been kind of toying around a little bit of the slider, but they're allowing him to throw his curveball again. Uh, now, did that change my, my first uh, gut feeling that he probably won't make it out of the spring? Keep in mind that at this point in spring training, the Reds have added only about eight games under their belt, and the pitchers are still still way, way ahead of the hitting. Does it does it help guys like Bailey that, that so many guys took off for the WBC? Oh, sure. I mean, he's going to get some regular work. I asked him what his program was. He said, I'm every fifth day. I'm one of those guys that's going to be able to pitch every fifth day. Now, if Cueto and Volquez were here, you'd have to squeeze out somebody. Maybe it would be Michael Owings. Maybe it would be Massive. Maybe it would be Homer. It would, uh, it would give the impression that one of those guys may not be getting as good a shot as the other. So this is a much uh, more controlled way of doing things. Uh, it just happened out that way. With uh, Ramirez going to the WBC, he, he doesn't have a shot at making this team out of spring training, does he? Well, I think he's another one of those guys with options, and I think he's also a little bit uh, uh, flexible uh, as a reliever, too, if they want to use him as that. Uh, I'll tell you what, any way you cut it, and, and I'm not so sure that it really matters whether it's Homer or Massett or Owings or you know Ramirez, I think they're all pretty much in the same category. I mean, they're all going for the number five starter spot. You're not going to you're not grabbing you know the diamond in the rough, and he, all of a sudden he's going to win the Cy Young Award this year. So whoever you get, they're going to be some very capable backups uh, in their same category or in that one pitcher who's chosen in his category back in uh, in Triple A all year long. I think that's probably the most encouraging thing. Okay, when we when we spoke a couple of years ago, we, you talked about the evolution of middle relief and how at that point the Reds didn't really have the overpowering arms. You call them the stuff guys. Do they have more of that now? Are you are you are, do you like the direction that they seem to be going in the bullpen? Yeah, they do have more of that. I mean, when healthy, Bill Bray is one of those guys that comes in throws hard. You know, uh, I think uh, Jared Burton has a chance to be pretty good uh, along that line. Josh Renicky probably won't be on the club uh, at the start of the year, but. Uh, he's a guy that certainly would fall into that category as having, you know, that, that plus stuff where you just bring somebody, he just blows it as hard as he can for an inning, and you get him out of there. Uh, and I think that's what uh, a lot of teams have gone to with, with, for the decent measure of success. And as long as you have good arms coming up, you can keep filling that particular channel with players aren't going to cost you too much. Do you, um, for a team that's not expected to finish above 500, there really aren't many spots available on this roster. Maybe, I, I figure maybe one position spot and two bullpen spots. Do you, do you see that about, you know, fairly close there? Yeah, I, I think that's about it. I mean, you're right about that. I mean, the, 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 the joke around here, and I shouldn't say the joke, I mean, the, you know, a couple of the comments around here is that, you know, the Reds don't have a lot of questions. The questions, though, that they have are, are the answers they have the right ones. And uh, uh, that's what they talk about when you're looking around the infield. I mean, the shortstop job's up for grabs. Uh, I would say Alex Gonzalez is, uh, you know, probably, you know, they may, he may be ready to start the season, but he's only DH a couple of days. And to my mind, I mean, he's still got a little bit of a favor to his one leg. So uh, I, I wouldn't count on him being, you know, an everyday starter from April on through the rest of the season. So they've got to have a good plan there at shortstop. That's up for grabs. Left field's up for grabs. You know, that fifth spot, who doesn't make the fifth spot, is going to be in the bullpen. Do you, who do you see as the backup at shortstop if Gonzalez isn't ready? Yeah, you know, Keppinger, Harrison, they're going to fill in the gaps there. Okay. Uh, in left field, you got, you know, Hopper, you got Gomes, you got Jones, you got Knicks. Do you think anybody has the lead on that spot right now? The, well, uh, did you mention Dickerson? Well, I'm, I'm I'm assuming Chris is a kind of a given. At least at least there's a platoon in left. 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I would say he's in the he's he's definitely in the mix, and uh, I think they'd like to have Johnny Gomes make the team. To be honest with you, they like his veteran, you know, his age. They like the fact that he's a he's a good clubhouse guy, tremendous cheerleader. He's a really uh, upbeat personality, um, and uh, you know they they like that. But you know, I think he's going to have to earn the spot. Uh, so you know, there are. Uh, there are going to be some options issues at the very end, but uh, that's wide open. I think they like to see Dickerson do it because they want to see what the ceiling is, uh, but they have some other guys. Lance Nix is having a nice spring so far uh, down here. It looks pretty good. Uh, I know that Dusty Baker likes a young man named Darnell McDonald very much, a uh, fleet-footed center-field type player uh, yeah, that uh, you know really has some pretty good tools. Now, again, it's very early in camp, so you really can't judge these guys, but uh, you know they have good athletes down here. Um, you think only two of, of, of Owings, Massett, and Bailey make the team? You know, Bill, I, I, uh, I really don't know. Too early? I have, uh, I, I don't know, and the reason why I don't know, I haven't really done the math on who's on and who's not. For instance, Bill Bray has been beset with some shoulder problems right. down here early on. Again, uh, the same type of thing that shut him down last year. Uh, this is becoming, I would think, something that they ought to be very concerned about uh, because he's always had somewhat of a, a bad delivery that would lend himself to having an arm injury. And sure enough, this is you know you start getting some innings on a bad delivery, and that's when you're going to start to break down. So I think that uh, you know at this point to predict how many are going to be on the team, I don't know. I think it has to do with the health of the guys uh, at the very end of the spring. Sure. How, how much does Mike Owens hitting his you know help him when he's trying to make a ball club? That's a good question. Uh, that question's been asked to Dusty uh, a lot, and uh, I really can't tell you uh, percentage-wise. But you know, they, they will say, meaning they, Dusty and Walt Jockety, the same thing. We wanted to get Michael Owings as a pitcher, not as a hitter. So that's kind of where that rises. Okay, let's let's cover a couple other things. The A Rod ster- steroid story. Did it surprise you? No. No, I wouldn't. I mean, they've got another hundred guys on that list, and, and there's probably another fifty that, that either weren't tested or were lucked out. You know, uh, so you know, hey, uh, uh, Jose Canseco was right. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I knew that. I think a lot of people close to the game knew that. And uh, hey, it, it, it's again, like I, I've said before, it's like putting a speeding sign up on an interstate. But then right below it, have a disclaimer that says, don't worry, there's no cops to check your, you know, to radar check your speed. So, you know, it's all honor system. And, and when you heard that the guy who you're facing that tomorrow night is on it, and your teammate's on it, and this guy's hitting home runs and he's on it, then you're going to join the bandwagon. And I think it's just kind of a natural that guys want to get the edge. This is, the, this is a very highly, highly competitive uh, endeavor. And uh, I think that this is why guys cheat. Uh, because they want to be better, not because they want to cheat. Uh, they just want to be better. Okay. What are your thoughts on the payroll disparities between teams? You know, uh, does doesn't the you know I don't think that they that it precludes low payroll teams from winning, but it does seem to reduce their margin of error. Uh, would would you be in favor of a salary cap, or do you see another answer to this? I mean. You know, Bill, it's so unlikely that anything dramatic is going to happen anytime soon that I haven't given it any more thought. A few years ago, you know, it was a hot topic of debate when they first, you know, began to put into the into the luxury tax and, and how they structured the arbitration a little bit more according to the number of years and so on. But uh, overall, it's, it's, it's really nothing that we can spend, spend our time and, uh, uh, and think it's a very good use of time uh, because I can, certainly can't figure it out. And uh, I think you've got a lot of very wealthy people uh, that have made money on their own and don't need the advice of others having to sit at a big conference table and all agree on something. And it's going to be a hard thing to do. It's one of those things that's above our pay grade. I, it's above mine. I'm not so sure about Bill Lack, but it's above Chris Welsh, I can guarantee it. Well, Chris, what are your thoughts on the Reds moving out of Sarasota to Arizona? I'm sad about that. I mean, personally, I mean, I, I am very familiar with the West Central Coast of Florida. I went to school in Tampa at USF, and uh, we've been coming down to Sarasota now for, gosh, a dozen years or ten years. Uh, it, it's been like a, a second home. Uh, I lived down in the Bradenton area for a long time uh, uh, after I got out of school, so I know this area. And hey, I like to fish. I like to play golf, and you can do both of those in Florida. The fishing part in Arizona is a little challenging. Uh, 
but they tell us that the you know the uh, facility out in Arizona, from the players' perspective and the team's perspective, is absolutely incredible. And I've heard that firsthand from people that have been there already. Uh, but it's still not Florida, and uh, it's very difficult to plop your kids into a minivan and drive them to Phoenix. You can do that in Sarasota. Yeah, and, and there's there's a lot of, of Cincinnati Sarasota vacationers and Cincinnati Siesta Keeps vacationers, and I think they're going to lose those those va- those visitors when they move out to Arizona. Well, they'll they'll lose those, I think, a certain number of those because people have once they buy a condo down on Siesta Keys, you say they're not going to sell it so they can go out to Goodyear and watch the Reds and face that. But uh, you know, in defense of the Reds, they did everything they possibly could to stay in Sarasota. They even offered the city money, I think, up to the tune of about ten million dollars out of pocket that the Reds were going to contribute towards either the refurbishment or the new stadium and complex, and uh, they were still voted down. Uh, and it was just, uh, you know, I think the state of Florida uh, pulling some funds that were once available. That coupled with the fact that it didn't pass some of the referendums in, in the city of Sarasota, uh, doomed it. Uh, no matter what the Reds wanted to do, and believe me, the Reds wanted to stay in Florida. They know the grassroots interests. Uh, they they're very aware of what's going on from a business standpoint. Uh, but there's really nothing that they could have done about it. Yeah, uh, uh, Chris. A lot of us. You know, ser- what I call serious fans. You know, say, well, I could do as good a job as a major league manager or a general manager. Tell me the biggest thing we don't understand about their jobs. Well, you know, uh, the easiest way for me to describe that as a manager, anyway, is uh, what Sparky Anderson wrote in his book about being a manager. And, and you know, uh, you have to do four different tasks as a manager, and each of them equally important. Uh, one is dealing with the the guy above you, the general manager, uh, on disputes over which players. Uh, he wants to acquire or that you want off your team or on your team and so on, roster moves and things like that. You've got to be able to get along with the press, uh, and I think that's very important for a manager. And we've seen the results in managers that just simply can't, you know, relax during a press conference. You know, reporters get the edge and they start trying to bury the guy. And of course, you have to be able to get along with your players, uh, and that's a very important thing, you know, because the players are going to play hard for managers that, that uh, can push their buttons the right way. And finally, of course, you have to be able to manage a game. And in the eyes of Mark Anderson, that was the least important of all. Uh, how you manage your players, for instance, is much more important as to whether you, you know, double switch in the seventh inning. All righty. Hey, Chris, is, for a broadcaster, how much fun is spring training? It's great. Uh, <laughs> we're disappointed when the season begins. <laughs> <laughs> Got to go to it's, work, uh, huh? It, it, I mean, it depends on, of course, uh, what you have to do down here, uh, if you are working, for instance, radio every day, uh, it's a grind because you're getting up in the morning and you're driving, you know, some places, you know, two or three hours to get to your spot, and then you're driving back up to the game and so on, and traffic down here. You know, once you get to the beach, it's great, Bill, but the getting it to and from, the traffic down here is a drawback, and if you really have to go to work here or go anywhere, uh, it can be a hassle. Uh, so I think that uh, it depends what you do as a broadcaster. TV broadcasters love it. Everyday radio broadcasters, they prefer to work every other day. Not too long ago, Chris, you were involved with the Reds Dream Week experience. Tell us a little about that and why it's fun to do as an ex-player. Well, you know, Dream Week uh, sets the game of baseball back 100 years every time they do it. Uh, you know, this year they had 100 campers down there uh, from all over the world. Uh, we, I had a guy from uh, Bangkok, Thailand there. We had a guy who was a federal firefighter from northern Alaska. Hadn't seen the, month in, or hadn't seen the sun in two months before he came down here. And uh, it was really an eclectic group, great time. What happens is that, you know, you, they run this like a big league week of baseball. You have a day of spring training. You go out and you uh, you take some batting practice, some ground balls, some flies. You get expert instruction from some of the Reds' uh, uh, former major league uh, players that have come through. They've got a whole host of those. And then you play double headers every day for four days straight. And, uh, you know, every game means something. You're playing for a championship. In the meantime, you have a can group court in the evening. You have a couple of banquets, a little pizza party. Uh, so it's really a, a, a fun week. And, you know, Bill, I can tell you it's a fun week, but the way you really know that is that there are so many of these campers that have come back year after year after year after year, uh, and it's not cheap either. So some people get a second job just so they can return the year following. Wow. What, what's the average age of the campers, would you guess, Chris? I want to say it's in the 40s, probably in the mid-40s, because we, uh, you know, we've got some guys in the uh, mid to late 60s. I had a 69-year-old on my team, and uh, 
we didn't win the championship, but uh, we, we were, you know, we were first blue plate line. And uh, what we did do, though, uh, is have a whole range of players. You have to be at least 30 years old. And I would say the average age is probably about 45, 46 years old. Uh, and really, there's a couple of good athletes that you know, play at a decently competitive level. But almost everybody else, you know, the ball's being lobbed in there. You're hitting it. 90 feet down the baseline seems like a long way. Uh, but it also seems like a long throw from the guy at third base, too. So uh, it, it, it's actually fun. We play a lot of really close competitive games. Uh, the uh, the pros are the coaches. They draft the teams. So they're yelling at each other. They want to win. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, really. They keep the trainers busy that week? Yeah, they do. This year they were really lucky. They didn't have too many injuries. But normally there's a bunch of you know ham typical stuff, hamstring blowouts, rotator cuffs. I mean, you know, you haven't used your rotator cuff probably since you painted your ceiling. So uh, <laughs> then you come out in, in February and start throwing baseball. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of ice that's gone around, I can guarantee. Well, Chris, that's that's everything that we covered again, you know, so we could cover it again. And I really appreciate your allowing us to make this up. Um, thanks very oh, much. No for, problem. Thanks very much for your time, and hopefully we can get to get with you maybe sometime during the season. Okay, great. Well, good luck to you, and uh, thanks a lot. I'll Th see you later. Thanks, Chris. Outstanding. Thanks again, Chris Welsh and Bill Lack. Thanks for not only completing that interview, but for joining us today on the podcast. All right, got any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, anything? If you want to just chew me out about what a ridiculously uh, podcast this is or how uh, thick my southern accent is, whatever you want, send me an email, chat at redlegnation.com. And uh, if it's a good enough email, we'll read it on the air. Uh, certainly if you're making fun of my southern accent, I'll definitely read that one on the air. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe via iTunes, Red Leg Nation Radio Podcast, or you can click on the Red Leg Nation Radio tab up at the top of redlegnation.com, instructions on how to subscribe and download previous episodes of the podcast. That's all for this week, kiddies. Enjoy, hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed it. Join us back uh, in the next few days. We'll have another podcast for you. Once again, thanks. Thanks.